does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Scott Agnes. Covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files. Also, 1075thefan.com. Obviously, we'll I'll talk some Pacers, some Summer League, all that good stuff. But uh, Eddie Garrison playing some Elvis right there. Scott, have you seen the movie? Are you an Elvis fan at all? <laughs> I have not. I was not aware there was a movie. And uh, no, no, not not my genre as much. How about you? I have seen it. Jimmy, have you seen that movie? Not seen the movie, but I, 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 do, I do like some Elvis classics. Jailhouse I'll, I'll, Rock, Hound Dog, yeah. Okay. Not not totally a spoiler over here, but Tom Hanks' accent in that movie is annoying as hell. <laughs> oh, it's so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and it might be perfect. It might be exactly who Elvis's manager was. I have no idea, but featuring Tom Hanks too much for my money. What is in your musical wheelhouse there, Scott? For me, I'm big into summer country concerts, so I'm looking forward to that now, hopefully with the off-season, entering off-season mode a little bit. So, uh, you know, your Luke Combs, Morgan Wallen, you know, anything like that. Luke Bryan, that's more up my street. He's a Swifty, too, by the way, Brian. Really? Can't forget about that one. Nice. (laughs) What what is, I got to go down this road for a second. What's the crazy, because I'm a heavy metal fan. So there's crazy okay. stuff that happens at metal concerts all the time. What's the craziest thing fit for the airwaves that you've seen at one of these con- uh, country like shows? <laughs> Nothing too reckless. Honestly, it's probably something that's just, you know, you're in the parking lot up there at Ruoff Home Mortgage Center, and it had just been raining after before, so it's muddy, and people are in boots, and, and a couple of wipeouts is probably the most that I can think of right there. But that's You feel bad for them, because how miserable is that? But Yeah. Um, yeah, those, those are my favorite. The, the sad thing, though, is most of the concerts are in the fall. So we're already, what, halfway through what most people consider summer, and there's really only been, like, one. I got to tell you a quick story here, real fast, uh, Scott and Jimmy. So I was at a metal show in Nashville one time and it was slayer it was uh, one of the bands in concert but they there was a guy in a wheelchair who was crowd surfing in his wheelchair <laughs> they're just passing him and the song ended in tom Araya, he's the bassist and the singer and he goes did you guys see that we just witnessed a miracle right here like that was the craziest thing i've seen in concert <laughs> Love that. <laughs> and it's fit for the airwaves, too. Imagine that at a metal show. Um, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Okay, uh, how about um, if you turn your attention to Summer League, Pacers, Jairus Walker. I, I don't know if I can go from, uh, you know, crowd surfing in a wheelchair to Jairus Walker, but I just did. You know, what were your takeaways with Jairus at Summer League there, Scott? Yeah, you're trying to – that's a difficult segue to make, I think, uh, right there. But I, I think you pulled it off. But uh, for one, uh, I, I think Walker showed more of his ball-handling skills. I think we, what we knew and what they had talked about so much, Brian, was how much he could guard uh, his versatility. That's the buzzword I think I've written about 100 times this summer, his versatility defensively, um, you know, the, his ability to switch off on the guards and pick and roll and how important that is 
with the way the game is played. But um, for me to find to see him handle the ball more, that was the one thing that surprised me as much, especially in Game Three, once you had the the key top three players sit out after the couple games. Then they even had you know were calling plays and setting up for him to run the pick and roll as the initiator, not the guy rolling and setting the screen. Um, his shot, as we all know, needs to improve a little bit. Uh, I like, though, what we saw from him for the most part with those key guys. The trouble was, and this is where it's hard to kind of put it in perspective or even take a lot from it, is once that roster is heavily depleted, I don't think Jarris is your, ever going to be your number one or number two guy. So for him to be thrusted into that role, yes, it is good experience. But it removes, I think, how you know – the role in which he's most comfortable and will be contributing moving forward, right? Like he's not going to be called upon to bring up the ball all the time and be the number one guy. So that was the difficult thing is the offense really sputtered and really didn't get going. They failed to score a ton over the final three games. And then because of that, I think the defense suffered. And um, that was probably my most disappointing takeaway in all this is for how much they've been talking about defense as a whole. The defense was not very good for the final three games. Scott, I think for a lot of us, the baseline for things like summer league, like training camp, like the preseason is clean bill of health for everybody, and that's a win in, in itself. That's kind of an accepted one for those mm-hmm. that cover it and for a lot of front office members as well. But for you that were out there for quite some time for Summer League, wh- where are your kind of lines in the sands for was it a successful Summer League for this rookie class? And as you evaluate and look back on the 10-day stretch, was it that for this group? Yeah, so I, I think you're right, first of all, just having the clean bill of health, nothing crazy, nothing bad happened. I mean, because I remember the first night, and what we see? We saw multiple injuries. Scoot Henderson, you know, wiped out for the rest of Summer League and precautionary. Eamon Thompson wiped out the first game of Summer League. So the Pacers did not have that. That was a positive. I, I thought overall Jarris Walker was solid. I would have liked to see more from Ben Shepard. The thing is, though, this I think this reaction kind of fits who he is. He's not a flashy, not a showy, not a, a player that's going to steal the attention. I think he's a guy that's just solid. I even talked to him after the second game, and I was like, I take this as a compliment, but I think offensively you were invisible. But when you needed to make shots, it, you know, it counted, right? Like he, he had one point in the first game, but in the second game they asked more of him, and he got more comfortable, and they changed up what they were doing offensively, and I think he knocked down four threes. And I think that – and being a reliable defensive player is exactly who he is. Although, I will say in the last game uh, is when, in the last couple games, you would have liked to see him show up more. Um, So that a little bit was disappointing. Uh, Otherwise, my other grand takeaway was, I I think, Andrew Nimhard, far too good for Summer League. He was just steady and solid, and this was a completely different team when he was out there. And with Benedict Matherin, it was almost like he was trying too much. Um, he had some dis- disappointing moments when in summer league he would go one on three and I was sitting back and I was like look this isn't working here you know it's not going to work at the next level against far better talent I would have liked to see him get teammates more involved in, in passing and, and much uh, much of a storyline like the coaches had been talking about during minicamp before they got out there and I thought he got better about that in the second game but in that first game that was tough to watch I think he piled up like four turnovers in the first half 
Do you think that's a good sign or a bad sign going forward where, like you said, maybe he thinks of it like, okay, I'm not going to be doing that when the regular season rolls around? Or is this just a, a sign of things to come? Do you think it's good or bad? I think it's more so bad because I think it, it, he could he would benefit from that experience of seeing those reps go through and getting the payoff. And meaning, you know, he'd attack, he'd set team, teammates up, uh, and, you know, they would knock down shots and be like, all right, we can do this. Because on the other side of that, what we need to see is his expanded game, this being part of it. The other is not, not being afraid to knock down mid-range jumpers, having a more consistent outside shot. Um, what we didn't need to see is, I think, what exactly we saw, and that was him attacking and attacking and trying to take on more guys. We know he can do that. He did a great job last year of getting to the free throw line for like six and seven attempts per game as a rookie. That's the part of the game that is a known uh, commodity here. Now we need to see more, and so I would have liked to see more expansion. Are the areas, though, that you saw struggles from him, do, do they outweigh where those strengths are? And, and either way, is it at least areas of film work where, okay, we can develop further and we can fix those issues? Yeah, I think so. And we even saw that halfway through the first game as they went to the locker room. And Gennaro Pargo, the summer league coach, and, and others even and mentioned this to him. I know Lloyd Pierce did after the game. It's like, hey, man, let, let's, let's set teammates up. Let's get others involved. We don't need to keep attacking uh, one-on-three. And then, um, and then defensively, I think in the big picture is the other thing. Uh, we want to see more steady improvement from Benedict. So he, can, he really wants to be a, a two-way player. And knowing him and, and what he has said several times is not just a two-way player. He wants to be the best two-way player. But we need to see a, a, a consistent improvement on the defensive end of the ball where sometimes he wouldn't do what Rick Carlisle wanted. Sometimes he wouldn't do what the flow of the defense was. Uh, and sometimes he would just get straight up beat by his defender. But um, one thing that also is notable here is we saw Team Canada announce their roster for the World Cup, and neither Matherin nor Nimhart are on that, as was expected. We did not expect the, for them to participate. They're really trying to be locked into this offseason where, where we see so many guys take their biggest jump from year one to year two. And so the good thing is Matherin had a terrific rookie season, and yet look at what we keep talking about is so many different ways we want to see him improve and get better. He's Scott Agnes. He's a country fan. He's a Swifty. He covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files. Um, how about this, Scott, where <laughs> – you like that? Does that work well? <laughs> I've never been introduced by that, but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> I think it. I think it, it, it. You know, it really accentuates Fieldhouse Files. Is what we. You know, we want to do. We need a. We need a, a an attention grabber over here, right? Top of the uh, resume, right there. Yeah. Yep. Right. Exactly. Yep. Uh, what did you think of the plan? To only play guys for a game or two. We saw that with Ben Matherin. We saw it with Wembenyama. Did you generally? Like it or dislike it where it felt like load management's a part of summer league now? No, I, I think this is exactly what it is and what it has been for years. I didn't expect those guys to play more than two games, and, and they really didn't. Jarris took the last game off. Uh, if you go back several years, usually the top rookie plays no more than three or four games. I think because Ben Shepard kind of had an underwhelming couple of showings that – um, they decided to have him play the fifth, and that's great. Why not? Um, in Wimby's case, for example, you got to remember that he played for like the last month overseas with his French team. So he had been playing not just 
professional basketball, but he had been playing like playoff basketball while all of his peers were going through pre-draft workouts and that sort of thing. So I'm good with that. The other thing um, <laughs> is is you could tell that, that just in a short time, the little areas in which he's going to be able to improve by adding some strength, by adding uh, more of a reliable shot and things like that. So from a basketball standpoint, yes, we would have liked to see him more. That's a big reason why for the first time ever, the first three days, three nights were sold out at summer league. Like I remember Jimmy, right. When it was like one day, it maybe been the first day and it was Zion and that was it. And, then tickets were easy to come by. One big difference I can tell you about this year, the significant difference was how it just felt a lot bigger, fuller, meaning the crowd. And, like, the gym was always cold and packed. It was so hot this year. I wanted to say that was because there was more people and they didn't accommodate for that. But because of that, there was also less mingling. There was less, uh, I think, interactions with NBA personnel and scouts and media and such kind of between the two gyms like we had been so accustomed to doing. So that was one big difference is it just felt bigger um, and much more to a detriment, I think, more like an entertainment product and less about uh, these players and the, the top draft picks getting valuable reps. When you look at the rest of the Pacers summer league roster and Jairus Walker, I would completely agree with you, is the highlight of the summer league and definitely deserves you know flowers for that of showing – the type of player that he is, at least at that level, right? You take it with a grain of salt because it's summer league. But the rest of this roster, a lot of guys potentially fighting for early impressions, not just with the Pacers, with just league-wide as a whole. Who impressed you the most on this roster outside of Walker? I think my number one guy was Andrew Nimhart. Yeah. But he's got a solidified He already has a spot, spot. right? Exactly. Yeah, so that's not that big a deal. Uh, I think Isaiah Wong reiterated exactly who he is, and he's a bucket getter. Uh, The one thing he was trying to add to his game and get more experience at with point guard because, you know, team executives and and his agents were all saying, hey, to have a place in the NBA, you're going to have to be a one. You've been a two your entire life. You're going to have to be a one to have a chance here. So he was trying to handle the ball more. We saw that. But in at at a final result, we you know, he was the guy that was always looking for a bucket, much like Benedict Matherin and attacking because that's exactly who he is. Uh, to the same respect, I thought Oscar Shibwe, again, reiterated who he was. as just a, a dominant rebounder whose other skills are kind of raw, and that's, that's maybe a positive here because he's on a two-way contract with the Pacers, uh, which means he's a relatively cheap deal. It's worth half of the league minimum, um, and it gives him an opportunity and a, a platform here with the, the Mad Ants coming up this next season to just commit to, to playing more professional basketball and getting – getting those valuable reps while also having the ability to being called up uh, by the Pacers team. But outside of that, uh, the guys that maybe are fringe guys, I'm not sure anyone made an impression that jumped out or, oh, my goodness, maybe they have to sign him or anything like that. I thought uh, the overwhelming note was just how much of a drop-off there was after the first two games when the core three players were absent. Hey, Scott, good stuff, bud. Appreciate the time. We'll catch you down the road. All right, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thank you. There he is, Scott Agnes. Covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files. Also, 1075thefan.com. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. Here on the fan, this kind of sounds like Tennessee, does it not? No Zach Brown band. Where do they where do they hail from? Do you know, Jimmy? I, I do not. 
We'll have to check that out. I'm not sure. I almost got arrested at a Zach Brown concert. Did I tell you that story? <laughs> How big you have. <laughs> I'll have to tell you that on the on the other end here. Want to welcome in John Glennon, Titans beat writer for the uh, Nashville Post, joining us here on the fan. Uh, John, welcome in, bud. So DeAndre Hopkins going to the Titans. It seems like it's just a matter of time till it's official. Uh, how much do you think this does in terms of bumping up that offense over there? I would say a considerable amount. You know, I mean, obviously the Titans have Derrick Henry. Everyone knows what he brings to the table. Um, but wide receiver room was, you know, probably, you know, the most or, or the least experienced in the NFL and, and arguably one of the worst. You have some guys with potential there, you know, Traylon Burks, first round pick last year, Kyle Phillips, another rookie who only got to play a couple games last year. Potential, you know, th- those guys, you know, th- there was thought that they might be good in coming years but not certainty. Now, all of a sudden, you're bringing in a guy who's got, you know, 850 career catches, over 11,000 yards, a huge, huge upgrade. You know, that's not only going to provide a great target for Ryan Tannehill, but it's also going to open room and space out there for Traylon Burks, for a promising tight end, the second-year guy, Chigo Conquo. Um, You know, so I I think this is going to make a – assuming, of course, assuming – that uh, that Hopkins stays healthy, uh, you know, it's going to make a uh, a very big difference, I think, for this Titans offense. John, is it fair or too far to categorize this as an overcorrection by the front office of the trade of AJ Brown? Uh, I, I think it's fair. I think one thing that that has to be you know remembered too is that this is a different front office. Sure. You know, I, sure. I think um, you know John Robinson was the one who traded away AJ Brown. Rand Carson is the new general manager, so he's kind of the one that's that's kind of left correcting uh, the the situation. But yeah, you know, the, there's no doubt um, that a huge void, uh, you know, was left when they moved AJ Brown, and it, and it certainly wasn't filled completely last year by Traylon Burks, the guy that they drafted in the first round. So yeah, they're they're still searching, they're still digging out of that, and and um, you know I think this is a huge step in the right direction, even though you know he's a 31 year old wide receiver. Uh, John Glennon with the Nashville Post joining us here on the Fan. I was just uh, last hour uh, talking about how I think the Jags are overvalued this season where I think they have the best chance to win the division, but there are a lot of people acting like it's already a done deal. And it seemed like Tennessee, who really struggled with the seven-game losing streak, I think that you're getting more value with the franchise going forward when it's like 4-1. to one, It's a little bit higher than that. I just don't think they're that far behind Jacksonville. Uh, you're the Tennessee Titans guy. Do you think that makes sense? Or is it Jacksonville by far in this division right now? I think, you know, Jacksonville uh, has to be considered the favorite. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's head and shoulders above uh, the Titans by, by any stretch. If you look at the games last year, both very close. Even the last game of the year, the Titans come in there with a six-game losing streak, uh, um, you know, playing uh, Josh Dobbs as the starting quarterback. And we're ahead in that game until the closing minutes when a turnover was returned for a touchdown and the Jaguars wound up winning that. So there's not a, there's not a massive difference, I don't think, between these two teams. And if you look at it, you know, I, I guess optimistically from a Titans point of view, defense should certainly be better. You're bringing back Harold Landry, a great edge rusher who missed all last year. 
You added Arden Key, uh, you know, another good edge rusher. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons was held, was only healthy for half of last year. He'll be fully healthy, so your defense is going to be good. And now you've just made a huge upgrade in the offense. The question for the Titans still, if they want to contend for that uh, that division title, in my opinion, is how is that offensive line going to play out? That still, even even after DeAndre Hopkins is signing, that to me remains the biggest um, you know question for the Titans moving forward. John, I know you'll get more clarity on this once the contract is actually signed and agreed to and media availability happens with DeAndre Hopkins. But from those you have talked to, how much of this acquisition of Hopkins and why he chose Tennessee was the money he's making and how much of it was how much he values the relationship of getting to be a part of something with Mike Vrabel again? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are, are, you know, to both of those, uh, you know, obviously, I, I think most of the time it comes down to money. We, we all have seen that uh, plenty of times. And the Titans put a lot on the table, you know, $12 million uh, for each of the year, each of the two years with the, uh, you know, possibility incentives could bring it up to 15 in each of those years. And that's roughly, you know, kind of what he was looking for in terms of being close to the, to the Odell Beckham uh, trade. But that said, you know, the two teams that, that uh, DeAndre Hopkins visited prior to signing, there was both a great deal of familiarity. In New England, there was Bill O'Brien, who obviously was his head coach in Houston and a play caller during some of DeAndre's time there. And in, in the Titans, there was even more familiarity, not only with Vrabel having been there for four years. Tim Kelly, who's now the Titans offensive coordinator here, was DeAndre Hopkins' OC in 2019 when, when DeAndre Hopkins put up huge numbers there. And then <clears throat> even a third one, Charles London, who is now the passing game coordinator for the Titans, was the Houston Texans running backs coach uh, when uh, when DeAndre Hopkins was there. So there's three key people right there that DeAndre Hopkins had a lot of familiarity with, and, and clearly that means something to him. So you'd have to say it's, it's more than just the money in this situation. You think we see jostling in the NFL all the time, you know, John. And so assuming there's maybe some jostling within this division, do you think the Titans are closer to the Jags right now or closer to the Colts heading into 2023? You know, I would I would uh I would think maybe a little closer to the Jags uh at this point and and I guess, you know, the the main reason I would say that is you know, I, I guess, and you guys obviously know far better than I do, but it sounds as if uh, Indianapolis leaning towards starting Anthony Richardson, you know, as, as quarterback next year. And, and certainly there's a world of potential there, you know, an incredible talent. But if that is indeed the case, that, that he's a starter, you know, there, there can be a little bit of a, uh, maybe a little bit of a, a rough start, you know, a, a learning process, you know, and, until things settle down, you know, possibly. So with that in mind, you know, that, that's one thing at least the Titans won't have to worry about. They've got a veteran uh, quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. That that part is set, and the Titans have just now answered one of their two glaring questions, I think, in DeAndre Hopkins. If they can do something with this offensive line, I, I think they're, you know, the, as we said earlier, they're, they're not too far away from Jacksonville. John Glennon with us, covers the Titans for the Nashville Post. John, when you look at all this going on with running backs around the National Football League right now, and the Colts are 
if they don't get an extension done at some point this year with Jonathan Taylor, the next team to experience this uncomfortable situation that the likes of the Giants and the Raiders are in. We look at Derrick Henry's $50 million contract, Alvin Kamara's $75 million deal, Christian McCaffrey's $64 million contract. Are we officially done with those days of, of big paydays for high-volume backs? I know Henry isn't the pass catcher that Kamara or McCaffrey is, but still impacted the Titans in such a way they paid him premium market money. Are those days done now? It certainly looks that way, doesn't it? You know, when when you see the uh, the Vikings, of course, this offseason, too, cutting Dalvin Cook, who, you know, still certainly one of the better backs uh, in the NFL, it's just it's clear that the that the value is not there, and that you know even when the value is there, I think is is when Titan or excuse me when running backs are very uh, young and and early on in their career, and even by oftentimes by the end of that first contract, you know the thought is that that maybe either they have peaked or that they are close to peaking. And that because that position goes through such wear and tear that it's just not going to last for a number of years after that. And and that you can bring in somebody fresh who, even if he is not quite as good, is not going to be a huge drop off uh, and you're going to get him for much uh, less money. So I think, you know, running back, you're looking at a position now that general managers saying, look, we can save some money at running back and get a guy who's, you know, who may not be elite, but is going to be good enough. Uh, you know, and, and spend that money, money either on a wide receiver or a quarterback, you know, a cornerback or an edge rusher, some of the other positions that are just considered more important right now. I got to ask you a geeky question before you go, John. Okay, because uh, Nicholas petit Friere, he was penciled in as the starter at right tackle, but he got popped for six games for gambling. So you mentioned the offensive line. That's the question mark. What is the projected plan in his absence, who's going to be the guy that's filling in for him? Yeah, that's a very good question right now. You know, there are a few options. You know, it's basically, I think, going to come down to do the Titans want to keep that rest of the offensive line the same, the other four members of the offensive line, and just change at right tackle? If they do that, you've got a veteran like a journeyman and Jamarco Jones. You've got a rookie sixth-rounder in Jalen Duncan, or you head to the free agent market and, and pick up maybe like a George Fant, you know, someone along those lines. Or your other option is if you want to juggle other parts on that offensive line, probably the guy who has the most right tackle experience is the penciled-in starter at right guard, Daniel Brunskill. So if you move him over to right tackle, then all of a sudden you're playing musical chairs again, though, and you're looking at, okay, who's our starter at right guard, and you're, and you're running through the roster again. So that uh, again, that, that's uh, the offensive line is really going to dictate, I think, how well this Titans team does because they have suffered the last three or four years. They have been one of the worst teams in terms of quarterback protection, and that's with guys like Ben Jones, Taylor Lewan, et cetera. Now you, you've moved on from some of those guys. You're starting fresh, and there's still plenty of questions to be answered there. Hey, man, great stuff. Good to catch up with you, John. Hope you have a good day, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you down the road. Okay, enjoy it, guys. Thanks. Thanks, John. Thank you. There he is, John Glennon, Titans beat writer for the Nashville Post.